darkness came over all the land. Jesus had been now hanging at the, on the cross for several hours. The Romans had perfected the excruciating death of crucifixion. It was a long, torturous death. And at noon, until three, something very unusual happened. Darkness came over all the land. Noon, high noon, the sun at its brightest, and all of a sudden darkness blankets the city of Jerusalem and the place of crucifixion. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, in that moment, he was quoting from a psalm that was written by King David, the famous King David, 800 a year, 1,000 years earlier. And this psalm was a psalm in which David was trying to put to words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a very dark time in his own life, a time in which people were turning against him, a time in which his friends were betraying him, a time in which he was going through deep, dark depression. And he describes this for us in Psalm 22 and, verse, and begins with verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was King David hundreds of years earlier. And it was Jesus on the cross at the end of that three hours of darkness that Jesus himself steps into this remarkable psalm that describes in detail as it goes on his own ordeal, Christ's own ordeal on the cross. Michael Card in his book, A Sacred Sorrow, writes, it was in the words of Psalm 22 that Jesus found a vocabulary to express the inexpressible forsakenness of the three darkest hours of the cross. Even as all truth came together in him on Golgotha, he held together all the suffering of the sin of the world. The cross on which he hung was a nexus where pain and healing intersected, where sin and salvation were held together until one exhausted itself against the other. And thank God it was salvation that exhausted itself against sin and healing that exhausted itself against pain. Now Psalm 22 was written, as I mentioned, hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. Uh, when I was a pastor in Southern California, one of the members of our church board had been earlier in his life, and not only an attorney, but a, a very arrogant, hardened agnostic. But one day he went to a Christian business networking event uh, simply to, uh, to, to look to solicit business for his own legal profession. And, and in the process of, of, of that event, the speaker read Psalm 22. And uh, he didn't know his Bible very well, and he assumed that Psalm 22 uh, instead was a firsthand description of the cross crucifixion of Christ. Until the, until the speaker observed that it was written close to 1,000 B.C., and that changed his world. 
I mean, it was the sheer impact that, that, that the crucifixion could have been so powerfully predicted by Psalm 22 so many years earlier that eventually led to his own conversion to Christ and being filled with the Spirit and sitting on a board of a church that I pastored and a friend of mine. This is a potent and powerful psalm. But if you have ever questioned whether it's safe to be honest with God about your own failings and your own suffering and your own pain, Psalm 22 ought to take away any question. Because here David just unloads his heart. He says in verse 1, as we just read, My God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Now, the biblical writers often didn't let their pain and suffering um, become evidence that perhaps there was no God. That was never the conclusion they seemed to come to. And, and notice that David said, my God, in the midst, why well, he's going to say, why have you forsaken me? He still claims him as his God. He, there was a foundation as the biblical writers struggled with pain and suffering and, and, and the existence of evil they still held on to a God of loving kindness and goodness and a God who was still there. And the question for them was not, does God exist? The question was why often and where, God, are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes on in that verse, verse 1 of Psalm 22, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? Have you ever prayed that? Lord, why aren't you answering my prayers? Where are you? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And so he's being honest. This great, loving, powerful God that does exist, he, he's big enough to handle your pain and your honesty about your pain. And then, and then he starts, David starts in verse 6 talking about his shame. But I'm a worm and not a man, he writes, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me, they mock me, and they hurl insults, and they shake their heads, and, and they say he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And here David's words to his own pain and his own struggle with faith become prophetic. They, they are almost verbatim what people around the cross said to Jesus. They said, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? And we're told that after the soldiers had flogged Jesus, they put, a, they put a, a scarlet robe on him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they bowed down and they mocked him as a king. And then they took the, 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 the staff out of his hand and they beat his head with the thorn of crowns and they mocked him and they humiliated him. And all of that would end up with Jesus hanging naked on a cross and, and, and people gathering around and mocking him and making fun of him. You're suffering, you're worst, and nobody has any sympathy. And, and this, this agony that David puts words to become prophetically precise in terms of of the shame that Jesus bore. Because we often not only deal with guilt, but David said, I feel like a worm. I, uh, our shame, our, our sense of worthlessness overwhelms us. If you've ever felt that, Jesus has been there. And then verse 14, the utter exhaustion of hanging on a cross. Although David is talking about how his pain and, 
and the suffering he's going through has just exhausted him completely. He says in verse 14, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint and my heart has turned to wax and it has melted within me. And interestingly enough, medical professionals now tell us that, that, that there's a buildup of fluid around, around the, the heart in, in a crucified victim. And, and when they finally put a spear through Jesus, both blood and water came forth. And, and, and here, here, David, hundreds of years earlier, talks about his own pain. I'm just at the end of myself. My, I don't have a heart anymore. It's melted like wax. And, 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 and People can see how my bones are out of joint. Verse 15, my, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and you lay me in the dust of death. And, and there was severe dehydration that would take place in a, a crucified victim and, and, and often marvel of all the agonizing pain that Jesus endured that he would cry out at one point, I am thirsty. And and David felt that thirst in his own pain hundreds of years earlier. And then Jesus steps into that and he experiences that severe dehydration. My mouth dried up like a potsherd, my tongue sticking to the roof of my mouth. People tell us that severe thirst can drive a person to insanity. And, and, and Jesus experienced that deep thirst that, that pain and suffering can bring to us emotionally. And then verse 16, dogs surround me. Those are not your pet dogs. Those are not lovable, patable pet dogs. These dogs were scavengers and they were vicious. And David says, it's like dogs surrounded me and a pack of villains encircles me. And remarkably, David would say, they pierce my hands and my feet. How would David know that that would be the means of crucifixion? That through hands and feet would be piercing nails but David prophetically in describing his own pain under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit described what Jesus suffered for you and for me in verse 17 all my bones are on display and people stare and gloat over me and, and this is not a pretty picture but this is exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross on the cross, our hymn writers say things like, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And it's a wonderful picture, it's a wonderful sentiment. Except the Romans didn't, didn't crucify victims on the top of hills. They crucified them probably just outside the walls of Jerusalem by a main road. And this was, this was how they kept order. This is how they suppressed people. They crucified victims where you could, you could walk by them and literally spit on them as you will walk by and see the horror and pain in their eyes. It was a method of crowd control. Like you, you, you muscle under the, the thumb of the Roman Empire or that could be you on that cross. And David said, all my bones are on display as, he would, as Jesus hung there naked and, and people stare and they gloat over me. And then as we read earlier, Matthew records so David prophesied, they defied my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. And it's all very painful. David describes his pain and it turns out Jesus stepped in to the depth of human depravity and pain. And his pain became a prophetic picture 
of literally what Jesus would do for you and me on the cross. You're, you're safe with your pain when you come to Jesus because he says, I hung there, I know it all. There's nothing that you can experience that you, first of all, can't be honest about, but that I'm not also with you there. But it's funny, he, he started by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? why? I just feel so deserted, so alone. John Stott, in his great book on the cross of Christ, he said, this is the problem of pain. It's not just the suffering of it, but it's the seemingly God-forsaken nature of pain, like God's forsaken us. And we're not told why David was suffering the way he was. He doesn't clue us in on the actual events that caused the kind of suffering he describes in the first half of Psalm 22. And neither does David tell us what happened to resolve that pain, but something shifts. After reading about, about Jesus' clothes being divided and lots cast for his garment, something shifts. And in verse 23, David suddenly proclaims, you who fear the Lord, praise him. How, well, so far this has been pretty depressing. This is pretty gruesome. Blow by blow, what a crucified victim experiences. And yet David said, but praise him. Oh, you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, oh, you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. But he has listened to his cry for help. Contrary to the claims of verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the morning I pray and you don't answer. And in the night I pray and you don't seem to hear me. Contrary to that, David says, but God, that's not the end of the story. You do hear me. You are near who those who call upon you in humility. You are near the guilty. You are near the suffering. You have not abandoned us, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one, David writes. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened. He has listened to his cry for help. So the words of Michael Card one more time. Amidst crushing sorrow and confusion, Jesus endured. He suffered with the disturbing clarity that only the hope of joy can give. There he exhausted himself against the God whose presence was nowhere to be seen. Losing everything, he won for us the assurance of his presence. Jesus' death and resurrection once and for all should give us hope that we can never be forsaken or forgotten or overlooked by God. He is Emmanuel, the God who ever is with us, the God who is moved by our tears and yet never abandons us. I want to tell you, he's near to you right now because of the cross of Jesus. The final word is, oh God, why have you forsaken me and why is life so miserable and why am I so frustrated? That's not the end of the story of the cross. It's the story of the Jesus who stepped in, who understands our pain, who died for our sin, who, who knows our shame and bore it himself. 
and says, I, as you open your heart to me, I can be with you. Just receive what I bought and paid for at the cross. Just come to my love. Even though you may wonder some days where I am, I want you to come and see the cross and feel me near and experience what I did for you. And look then where he goes in Psalm 27. All, in Psalm 22, verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and they will turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation will bow before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. And that's going to be the true end of the story. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, and I'd like you to take your communion emblems. He said, Jesus, the night before he was crucified, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and said, this is a new covenant in my blood for you. And then Paul said, as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you, you are reminding yourself of the cross of Jesus Christ until the day that he comes again. And the true triumph of the cross of Jesus is not only he forgives us here, not only we can partake in his healing right now, but the true triumph of the cross of Jesus Christ is exactly what David wrote. All the ends of the earth will remember and will turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation someday, that day he comes again, will bow down for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.